Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Just tell my younger self, embrace whatever that you're given, whether that's extreme happiness or extreme uh, sadness or whatever that that, that is. Um, it's all going to be adding you know, wisdom to yourself. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. So uh, I'm curious to hear like your kind of major decisions and turning points in your career that led you to become an ML leader. And I'll ask the follow-up questions. Uh, sure. Uh, I think my, my I, uh, I call it soul-searching journey or, or career path is uh, a, a series of, of little accidents. I shared it with uh, um, another uh, a podcast that I did so apologize if you have um, actually listened to the podcast. The, the, it's, a, uh, it's a little bit accidents that I started. My, my academic background is uh, database and data management. It's working with data, real-time data. Um, but the, only the last year of my um, PhD program that I finished all the defense, not defense, but proposal, like thesis, everything, I took a class of data mining um, from uh, Professor Christos Falosos, if you uh, ever actually know him as a he's a great uh, he's a great guy and, and very inspirational and just a very cheerful person uh, got me so interested in uh, in data mining and you know just fascinated by what are the some of the insights and patterns and you know problems that we can solve using machine learning and data mining um, so as I ventured into my first uh, job in IBM research uh, actually, I didn't do anything about just probably like anyone else is uh, what I learned in my PhD thesis. Uh, it's all about actually solving problems. I joined the service department is solving problems a lot of times using machine learning and, and data mining, um, you know, skills, but also optimization. And uh, there's many different things that we are solving in terms of uh, uh, different business problems uh, because of the service department that I'm in. And it took a few years. Uh, I realized that I really wanted to solve the problem end to end and where in the research facility usually you get to solve very interesting problem a variety set of problems um but not really to the end of delivering that projects and seeing what is the feedback that you get from the algorithms whether it's success or fail and many times it could be actually learning from the few failures and then you improve it and then um you see actually this would uh, not work in the first time it will work in the third and, and probably tenth times um so I had uh, changed quite a, a you know a few directions, but none of these I would say uh, are major changes. Like I would go back to say, without that, um, I think there's there's certain path maybe everyone takes, um, but there's always learnings in each of the decisions you've made that kind of build uh, you know the person you are right now. Uh, and I appreciate all the experiences that I had. Um, I always had the passion of seeing the results end to end. And I always had a passion of having not necessarily bigger impacts, but impacting more people. So uh, consumer facing problem solving, I think it's a, it's a, I'm still just as passionate as day one joining, joining Home Depot. Uh, if you look at the scale of the problem that we're solving, you know, hundreds of millions of customers, um, if you make experience better for them uh, maybe the reflection is one basis point two basis point of conversion but that 
going to impact you know hundreds of millions of people and for business wise it's hundreds of millions of dollars so it's a very fulfilling um you know <laughs> when we get there and i i constantly remind myself and and my team that this is you know this is for not only the business impact we are making people's homes better and having <laughs> helping them to solve their home problems better uh, and she'll all feel you know very very good about that <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean uh, there's you know some commonalities between like my decisions to somehow accidentally end up in ml leadership ones that um you know wanting to help more people and create more impact with data and uh, another one is wanting to see things like going from end-to-end -end research production, right? And we'll, you know, talk about research abroad a little bit later. Um, I'm actually curious if you have any advice to give to your younger self, and if you have any advice or resources to point to uh, for people who are kind of considering becoming a AI leader. Uh, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can, um, I, I can give many advice to myself. <laughs> I'll pick one. Uh, yes. I'll pick one. Probably just say uh, be less anxious. You know, embrace all the experiences that you have. <laughs> I think it's a um, probably every young person in a in a great way because I think our emotion drives us and that gives us uh, really the force to tackle something, even though you, you may be crying or screaming, but that gives you energy. I think. I would love that the energy minus the whatever the anxiety <laughs> at the moment to just tell my younger self, embrace whatever that you're given, whether that's extreme happiness or extreme uh, sadness or whatever that 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 is, um, it's all gonna be adding you know, wisdom to yourself. So embrace all of that, um, even though at some point it was very painful uh, experience. <laughs> It, but it's it's going to be great for you. Uh, so I I had my my second job after IBM was in the startups distillery in uh, working on a lot of production code. That was my first and uh, most intensive software engineering job, um, and I still go back to really appreciate that experience to being hands on building algorithms, you know, processing data, deployment, and all of that work. It's a startup company, so you you end up actually doing a lot of things. There's no like specific functions that you do uh, very deep, you have to do like across the function, a lot of different things. So that was a really good experience in sitting myself in many people's shoes. And I think um, even today when we are data science function, when we are collaborating with engineering teams, that gives us a lot of insights of what it's actually mean, you know, to connect the points with the with engineering team and making sure our projects are successful. So. Of course, back then I didn't know that. <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of strong feelings in in the different challenges that I've faced, and I'll tell myself, don't don't worry, just embrace it. Yeah, um, that that resonates very much with me as well. I think uh, my advice to my younger self is uh, worry less and code more. So that's pretty much what you what you said as well. Um, yeah, uh, I see there's a question about, um, you know, opportunities for entry if there's no former, formal machine learning background. And uh, do, do you recommend going through a traditional path, getting a master's or doctorate? And, uh, you know, I'm happy to, like, add some pointers to this because I also don't have a traditional background, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Wimmy. Uh, yeah, happy to. I mean, I, I think I just shared that um, you can see myself doesn't have traditional background uh, training as well, even though I think I'm probably closer to comparing to 
if you call it a physics PhD, but sometimes we have actually uh, very talented data scientists in our team uh, in, in their second year and third year, they started to use machine learning to solve whether it's biology problems they're solving or physical problems, you know, physics problem they're solving. I haven't actually done that until my fifth you know, year of my PhD. So um, I think we all gonna start somewhere and the starting point could be could be now, it could be putting any point of, of your um, experience. And it really doesn't need to be traditional, you know, formal training. Um, I'll tell you, there is one uh, senior manager who's super successful in our team, uh, who's uh, who has a master's degree. Um, but I think you gotta appreciate the experience that you have with one potentially technical knowledge, right? And that could be picked up in your, I think it's easier relatively in an academic setting, right? So you're basically uh, with a little noise and focusing on very um, very good training, mathematical training, you know, to, to solve a certain problem. But if you do have um, areas of experience in cross-functional, right, you may come from a psychology background or social study uh, that gives you a perspective actually to connect with people, solve certain type of problems. It could be analyzing user experience and um, it could be also uh, coming from, uh, you know, computational background, computer science like myself or many of the people existing, but not necessarily focusing on machine learning, but then in a way that you connect really well with you know, software and, and deployment, maybe architecture, different architecture of the uh, deep learning algorithm. So leverage your strength of your background. And, you know, and then you know, from there, there's many tools and uh, materials. I think you asked me earlier, what are some of the resources that I can recommend? In fact, um, one of the recommendation it's not a specific material. My, my recommendation will be diversify. <laughs> so it it's, seems, um, you know, a, a little bit contradictory, but uh, for for, for data science to a lot of people, it's a very deep technical area. You need to focus in this. Um, but I think a lot of times diversification will help you um, to connect the dots. It's not only the technical problem that we're solving, right? So we have to actually bring people along in terms of solving those problems. Um, and specifically, um, I share how, how I continue to learn because um, it's not really just you get a degree, right? You, you basically graduate from uh, the learning experiences. Uh, this is a very fast moving area and there's constantly new things that's coming out, the technology algorithms and actually framework or software or you know, open source, a lot of the new things that's coming out of the uh, industry. I think diversification helps me to learn from podcasts, to learn from you know journals like Harvard Business Review, to learn from books. And these books may not be AI books at all. <laughs> uh, in a way, it, it really can help you to um, connect the dots because that's really, I think, the number one um, you know feature for for any leader, whether it's machine learning leader or not. So I just read the book, the book of uh, the the ride of a lifetime by. Um, Robert Eager, uh, who's uh, the CEO of, of you know, um, Walt Disney um, for 15 years. And there's a lot of learnings that he was sharing. I think from connecting all these dots, uh, it, it will help us to learn. And you're at least many of you are data scientists who understand that this will help remove the bias, right? So we do want to train ourselves now with one set of data or one type of data you know, we need to train ourselves with all kinds of data that will help really mimic the real world. 
Um, that way we can solve a lot more problems um, and probably understand and learn these from people who has already solved the problem before um, to yeah. shorten the learning path. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, one thing I would echo is that in, in the real world, if you're working on ML, not just for research, but for products, getting a good model is like only less than 20% of the success, right? Because there's typically multiple stakeholders involved. Um, they want different things. They have different risk tolerances. And, uh, you know, getting everything all the way to production requires like a multifunctional team and multiple talents and multiple backgrounds. But um, this question is actually like very close to my heart because I'm someone that um, learned how to program by myself and uh, eventually got into machine learning just by kind of self-studying. So if one data point is enough, I would say uh, based on my experiences, definitely you can um, get into the field without a formal education. I I've seen kind of the field become better and better about these uh, educational requirements, right? But I do admit um, it is definitely easier and probably a better learning experience if you do decide to pursue one of these uh, formal options. And uh, if I were to recommend some, you know, resources or a happy pass to get into machine learning, if you don't want to, you know, pursue a advanced degree. Um, so I would highly recommend uh, being a little more intentional about what area of machine learning you want to specialize in, because machine learning is a very big field uh, and having a little bit of focus helps guide your progress. And part two is immediately start working on projects. Um, so pick a data set or um, algorithm you're interested in learning and just you know build it however you want i think if you're you know learning by yourself it's very sometimes difficult to keep out the motivation and there's too many resources out there to follow and sometimes it gets like fairly confusing as a beginner so if you pick something you care about maybe based on your background so far in life and you pick a data set and you pick some questions you want to answer and you let that curiosity drive you you're more likely to you know have success enjoy the process and get to where you want to get to faster Right. Um, so, yeah, um, hopefully that's helpful. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you know, um, as a as a leader in like a large corporation, um, what is kind of your priorities as a leader? Right. Something I found as an open source leader is that my number one priority, the thing that makes the most sense for me to do is actually to build other leaders and rapidly level up the competencies technically and also, uh, you know, like management wise for my team, because for every leader I create, that's a person that's going to be capable of like working with another five people or five beginners and vice versa. So I'm curious to hear like from your perspective, what are the most important things to you? What are your kind of, um, you know, uh, your key success criterias um, for being a leader in machine learning for, uh, you know, a big company? Yeah, uh, Maddie, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's a question uh, I don't want it to, to sound like cheesy, but it's actually uh, not so much different from uh, the success criteria for the team is, is not so much different from the success criteria for every individual in the team, right? So if you really add that up, uh, the success for the team should be every team member's success. Um, and then it, it's vice versa. <laughs> I don't think there is going to be an equation, you know, everyone is successful and the team is not. So striving for everyone's success is uh, essentially how we cascade it. This is what we want to drive, and this is you know everyone's responsibility. Reaching that, you know, <laughs> we're gonna get there. And we have this uh, uh, core Home Depot value is you know we the business is gonna be 
uh, great if you take care of your customer. And um, basically, we have associates taking care of the customer. So if you take care of associates, everything else will be taken care of by yourself. Uh, what that means specifically is if you look at what is really mean for the success of our individual. I talk about myself, you know, when I was, uh, whether it's a leader within Home Depot or it's an individual con contributor somewhere else, um, I think number one thing, I want to feel my work is worthwhile, right? I'm passionate and making an impact. And what that impact means could be, I make these improvements of, of this recommendation algorithm better, and that drives for the business $5 million, in, you know, incremental. It could mean uh, two basis point improvement conversion, you know, improvements on conversion, but that just means that we remove the friction for our customer, right? For uh, you know, that engagement, maybe uh, 10 million customers, but you know that, oh my goodness, I've made 10 millions of customers. When they engage with this module, they convert it better. So those are the individual setups that we have to motivate our teams to, to make the job responsible, you know, clear. Um, and everything else is, like you said, it could be getting their career path is also part of making them successful, right? Understanding, do they want it to be more technical as an individual contributor, you know, upper in the, in the uh, personal, uh, the in individual contributor path or the letter about the people management and how do we provide um, development opportunity for them and a resource for them, for them to continue to be successful. Ultimately, you don't want the uh, disruption of anyone uh, looking for a different you know, career opportunity, uh, this position is open. There's always the pipeline discussions, there's always career path discussions, and there's always, you know, however you meet um, what excites people as a data scientist, as an analytical leader uh, to make them successful. And, and I would think everything else is taken care of them by, by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think alignment is super important. I mean, uh, leading open source is a little bit different because frequently there isn't a paycheck. So people are purely there because they're interested and they're passionate. And people are typically interested and passionate for different reasons. Some people just find the ML technique super interesting. And others are maybe having a harder time trying to break into the industry. So they're trying to uh, prove themselves by working on open source projects. And I think uh, one thing you said that I also do that I have found to work well is um, having a conversation with each team member saying, hey, you know, um, this is kind of what we're trying to get to. Which parts do you see yourself wanting to help with? Are there things that you're trying to grow and get out of this, you know, working experience? And that is all just so I have, you know, the right ideas in mind to put people on the projects that they're going to learn from and enjoy doing. And this is how you end up keeping, you know, team members for the long run because uh, open source is very kind of decentralized and membership change all the time. So that totally makes sense. And uh, that's, that's a really like a tip. Um, yeah, so one thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just thought that uh, you made a really good comment. Um, I probably not as familiar with the open source community, but I think one thing is common is people's needs are um, pretty diverse, right? So this, what excites me may not be exactly, we, we, we all get excited sometimes, you know, with the with the you know, technicality of the problem, right? A yeah. lot of the scientists would, would do, um, but there could be also the differentiation of people value patents more than, you know, publications, or it could be uh, just how much I can actually be contributing as a, committer to, to certain uh, open source libraries and all of those different things. I think the key point is to align these, you would call it, I used to call it two vectors, right? So you have one vector, which is actually 
what as a leader see to make this team successful? That could be resource, that could be alignments, that could be getting things done, um, making an impact, and align that with the with a personal uh, goal. And this basically it becomes one the smaller basically the angle is the faster over, overall that we can move. So at some point, if we really align this, we can go a lot faster uh, yeah. in terms of in terms of the speed and you know meeting everyone's need and also eventually making the team successful because sometimes they may not realize that we wanted to really sponsor patent and publication and being in the conference and community to the code uh, the library you wanted to do and all of that um, things that excites you but we also wanted to get the resource to enable us to allow us the freedom to do it right so those are the alignments yeah. that, um, we constantly need to have that communication and um, getting those two vectors as close as possible to do fast yeah, I mean, a team is like a boat and it goes a lot faster if we all row in the same direction. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so this is more of like a personal question. And I think many people who transition from uh, like deep technical expertise, uh, you know, individual contributor to leading a team will experience this tension. And that is the tension between being a good team lead and then supporting your team versus like, you know, following your curiosities and digging into all the, you know, new state of art algorithms and new papers and trying new things and new frameworks, right? So uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how to balance, you know, this tension. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's gonna be pretty obvious when you have uh, a directional change of uh, starting from a, you know, IC role to getting more leadership role. And there's a skill set uh, difference that you start to realize that I need to do certain things more than more than others. Um, and it could be speaking to any, any type, of type of role change. <laughs> Um, ultimately, I think the number one person we need to convince is ourselves. What is most important to you? Um, and if that most important to you is getting more things uh, as a you know, requires as a leader done, then you have to first convince yourself, I need to spend more time talking with stakeholders. I need to spend more time marketing data science projects rather than doing it myself. When you need to spend more time pitching for idea to get the funding of these projects, um, you know, whatever that is, or spending more time uh, resolving conflicts and clarifying responsibility, whatever that is, um, this may not be as, um, you know, as, as something that you wanted to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's important, right? So I think the first one you need to convince is yourself in spending more time there instead, you know, spending less time here. So I don't believe there's there's I have no time to do this. You have all the time, you just need to allocate them based on your priorities. So once you convince yourself, then you can convince um, anyone you need to convince. So don't feel like you don't have the permission to do it, right? The permission is actually you know, yourself first and then you convince basically whoever that is, you think you need to get alignments. It could be your boss. By the way, it could be, I need to spend more technical you know, time on technical work then I need to convince my boss that I, I will not attend that meeting because I think this will actually get all of us more successful in me going to the conference, right? To get more educated or me going to this training program to get more hands-on um, instead of some other things. So ultimately, I think we all are uh, our, we are our decision makers, right? We can make that decision and trade off and prioritization. First convince yourself and then the rest of the uh, the people bring them along so that they understand uh, why this is the best for everyone. 
that makes a lot of sense. I think clarifying, you know, priorities is always a little bit tricky, but that's where you start. And uh, I think like two approaches I've personally been trying that seems to work is uh, one, leveling up your team so you can hand more things off. And part two is like really checking your own ego, right? Um, as leaders, like we need to delegate and really like trust the experts on our team. Like I don't need to be the most expert person in every single, you know, subset of ML that I'm working on because that's no longer possible. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really great to build up experts on the team for both like managerial things and also technical expertise. So you can go to that person and trust them uh, when you need to move together as a team and make decisions. So those are still things I'm struggling with and working on. And uh, yeah, really like really helpful to hear your perspective. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Maddie, I, I love this interactions that we had. And I want to just add one more thing based on also your very helpful specific you know uh, tips to, to the audience. Um, I think as a, a mature organization, like we're definitely moving towards that path. Uh, we do have IC roles at the same level that the managerial position. So for example, we have principal data scientists who's equal as a senior manager position. As an individual, if I'm a senior manager in that team, I actually have this counterpart of the principal data scientist who can trust and rely on or learn from what, whatever particular uh, skill set that could be the you know natural language processing that this person is specialized in. Um, so having that, whether it's delegation or trust um, your counterparts um, of this technical person, if you're, if you're a manager or the other way around, right? So you don't need to be worried about managerial positions and responsibilities if you are really this principal position. Um, having that type of organization uh, that we're, we're, we're creating, I think it's really helpful for both talents. Absolutely. I mean, even though I very like research heavy team, which is kind of my situation, like I still don't need to read every paper in a field. And then if someone else has read it and they're able to like provide a summary for the team and guide us through, you know, our decision making, that's like, that, that's really great. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. So, uh, you know, there's kind of like an audience question that I'll get to, but first I'd like to ask a question about imposter syndrome, right? And for those of us who are maybe not familiar with this term, um, I guarantee you, you probably experienced it no matter who you are. And that is the, you know, sinking feeling that you feel like you're a fake and everyone's going to see through you and you're actually a very competent person, but you just don't feel competent, right? And uh, I'm curious, when was the, you know, the last time you either noticed this in yourself as a leader or even noticed maybe this is happening for one of your team members and how did you go about, you know, resolving and dealing with, you know, these, these things that happen? <laughs> uh it's not for a moment and i think it i probably would would notice that um every moment all the time <laughs> all the time so i'll tell you after i recorded the podcast i don't want to listen to my voice and i just i hated a lot of things that i you know that i do <laughs> so lack of confidence. okay you sound great right now <laughs> thank you so i think for generally a lot of women or most is from the researchers uh it will be lack of um, you know, less confident than men, right? So for, you probably heard this, like uh, for for uh, men to, to take on a job, they only need this much of, I wouldn't call the actual numbers, this much of a confidence for women need to have this much of confidence to take on that job. Um, and personally, I'm a, a per <laughs> professionalist, so, uh, not professional, perfectionist. So in a way that I have, I really wanted to get things done well, and I would uh, spend a lot of time on <laughs> getting whether it's the precision when I work on technical projects or getting the, the slides or writing the paper. Uh, I tend to work till the last minute of submission. 
back in the the days. <laughs> there's a there's a thing about this um, that I I think it was kind of built in me uh, and many others. Um, I would say appreciate it as a gift um, because you can actually build really good credibility uh, with this kind of habit. And uh, once you have it, it's actually once people, you know, people appreciate that. And once they, they understand how you function and there's a, there's a good amount of trust that you can build. So don't be afraid uh, if you have the syndrome, <laughs> you know, in, embrace it and um, enjoy it. Um, but for those of you who's uh, uncomfortable, feeling uncomfortable, I do. It, and I would tell myself to, to fake it sometimes until, until I make it, right? Um, and you will hear probably the saying before that uh, you'll be the best person actually know the things that you do always on that table, right? Because nobody else knows this better than you. Uh, it could be, you know, one subject, it could be machine learning, it could be, you know, search, it could be uh, visual, the computer vision, whatever the problem that you're, you're focusing on, nobody knows better than you. And um, sometimes even when you don't believe it, uh, you can still fake it and people will believe it. They only see from the outside <laughs> until you, you get the time uh, to really grow into that image that you want it to become. Um, but ultimately, I still believe that this is a gift if whatever that you, you feel like you're not good enough, that's an internal drive for you to get better. And you may have a really high bar. We all do, and a lot of our women have that high bar to get there. Um, it's, a, it's a gift. Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, the most recent time this happened to me as a as leader was, um, you know, I had to yell at my team a little bit to say, hey, like, our velocity is decreasing. Let's, you know, pick it up, like, all of that. And then there was a moment where, like, who am I to be yelling at my team? They're volunteers and they're working on this, you know, like by themselves out of their own time. And uh, what if they all decide to leave, right? Uh, and then, you know, at that moment, I had to tell myself, just like, you know, this is based on data, what you need to do. And if you do lose your team, then you just have to go and build a new one uh, to work on this open source uh, library. Uh, turns out everyone was totally like, cool with that? They appreciated the feedback and we actually got the whole team back on track with new velocity. So in those hairy moments, I kind of like stash that data to remind myself down the road when I question, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I completely screwing up? Am I a total fake? Am I even ready for this um, to look at the data and say, oh, you know, this is just my imposter syndrome acting up. It's probably okay. Uh, but just to kind of follow up and echo your point on, you know, making it uh, your, your friend and part of your success, I think my advice to data scientists is that to be a good data scientist, you have to be a little bit paranoid. And this makes you do good work and question your assumptions and, uh, you know, check your tests, make sure you're not leaking data, all of that. And it actually helps you in the long run. The number one thing I want people to know is that do not let imposter syndrome keep you from trying to go after the things you want to go after because that's the only time imposter syndrome wins and you lose right so just kick it in the face and keep going and uh, one day you'll discover oh okay i have enough data to make reasonable judgments on my capabilities and you know i can i can work with my imposter syndrome as a friend so um there is a very important and very good question from the audience and um this is about, you know, the topic of diversity and inclusion. Uh, Brandy is asking, you know, she would like to know as a non-traditional learner trying to break into the field of AI and ML, as a white lady, um, what could she do to help create a more equitable field? And I want to kind of like take that question and change it a little bit. 
Uh, first of all, thank you so much, Brandy, for being intentional and conscious and being aware of your own biases. We all start with ourselves, and that's already a really good first step. But um, I'm curious to hear you talk about Hui Ming. Um, so what are some of the measures that uh, you wish the industry would do more of? What are some of the measures for diversity inclusion uh, in terms of ML, AI, data science um, that has worked well for the Home Depot and your team? And, uh, you know, what advice do you have for people maybe like from traditional, non-traditional backgrounds getting into the field to be conscious of their own biases? Yeah, it's a, it's a very important topic, especially, you know, for this forum, right? As it you can imagine, I think it's, it's top of mind in many people's uh, thinking. So I think within, within Home Depot, wherever I worked with, I've seen great um, intention, right? And, and this level of effort, it takes the number one thing is, is we have to be intentional uh, for this. There are, um, I mean, for anything you wanted to do, there's always the first question is why? Why do you want to do this? Is it for uh, just equals? <laughs> right? And I think that less, less so, that is very true. But for actually uh, driving, this is a business need too, I would say. Right. Yeah, this is going to be the most important thing. Um, if you look at it from a maturity perspective, let's take a look at this. We all know the importance of stratification, right? You don't want to build a data set for uh, the, the famous maturity example, the, the image recognition that the best for you know white male, right? right. Because the data set is actually uh, biased, right? So how yeah. do we really create good ideas and um, really have those benefits of you know the the in, intelligence from all people to really contribute to your project, to your organization, to the health of long-term projects and the company. This is that, this is very important for the success of the company, not only for the equal, you know, whatever uh, the, the you know, equalness that we need to make, right? Inclusiveness we need to have, um, whatever the, the, the group um, that is less represented. And I think for each business functions, uh, marketing has a different kind of bias, you know, or unbalance comparing to technical areas or comparing to data science areas, um, we do want it to make it intentional and stratify basically the, the people that, the group that we are reaching out to. Um, and then ultimately you will see the impact. I would say one thing that I wish this industry overall and the company wise can do better is always make it transparent in terms of yes. where we are, right? So the, the number uh, that you see, what is the percentage of women in, in the team, what is the percentage of the different ethnic groups, uh, whether it's, you know, there are many subgroups, like how do you really understand the current status and the future and, and the best you know, industry and what we're moving towards. I can share a little bit of data points from Home Depot perspective I'm super proud of. Um, and in fact, I was <laughs> actually, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't I don't expect these numbers to be equal, but 50% of our uh, 2019 hire uh, is actually ethnically diverse. And if you look at 50%, that's, that's, that's awesome. half, right? One third of, of the 2019 hire are, are women. Um, and I was really excited about this. And our team speaks multiple languages. And um, I was uh, looking at some statistics of company, um, 30 plus languages spoken, uh, just looking at the, from a language perspective. There are a lot of things that I think company can do to move these needles better um, and we're all in it. Um, so I think yeah. from individual and, and corporate wise, we can all do better to improve and move the needles uh, towards the right direction.
Yeah, and just to echo your points, I think uh, for the ML professional in the crowd, um, diversity leads to better generalization, right? And we all want our algorithms to generalize well for the real world. And I think uh, from my perspective, like the danger of lack of diversity and inclusion in AI is particularly important because um, it, like as researchers, even with the best intentions, we cannot possibly understand how these algorithms affect the communities that we don't have a background or history in, right? For example, if I'm working an algorithm, I can understand how it affects, you know, uh, people with similar backgrounds, but I would not be able to know how this affects, you know, um, like a like a lady in Africa or um, I don't know someone who like works in India, for example, right? So uh, I think some of those things that we do as open source um, is kind of serving as this function to recycle talent and really like. Uh, make it an equalizer because as long as you're willing to and you have the motivation, you can contribute to a repo. We will help you learn. We'll help you develop ML skills, and your work is documented. And you can then take that, you know, documented work to show other people. Hey, you know, despite biases or what you may assume about me, this is what I'm capable of. And are you willing to, you know, give me a shot, right? And I think, uh, you know, there has been multiple cases in my personal life where people who were really having a hard time struggling ended up going from, you know, working on a ship as a you know single mother to now working as a data scientist. And I know this is truly possible. And to kind of give some data or advice for uh, from the open source side to people in companies trying to hire for talent. Um, many of you have said that, you know, every time I talk to you, um, you're having a hard time with like talent. Right. And uh, what I'm seeing in open source is actually that um, talent exists everywhere and uh, you may not be looking in the right places. So just cast a wider net, give people more of a shot and maybe consider like testing their competencies in slightly different ways. So uh, for example, um, the way I test if people should be joining my research team is actually giving them a small project and doesn't matter how simple it is going from point A to point B and seeing how much they're able to grow and learn in that process. And are they able to perform reliably and take feedback, right? I don't look for PhDs. I don't look for machine learning background. And I found that to be a very reliable indicator of how people perform in real life. So with that said, I think we're out of time. Um, very happy to, you know, continue chatting with you folks, uh, you know, in this event chat. And also very happy to chat with you if you add me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me, Maddie. It was great to talk some of these important topics with everyone. Uh, I thoroughly appreciate the time and uh, hope we all will get together or really together soon. <laughs> in whatever yeah, we love that. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Ming. Always uh, very insightful to chat with you and uh, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission, and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash womenwhocode. Thanks again for listening. And remember, to subscribe, rate, and comment.